0: Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. Generations of Faith is the title of the message. Hebrews 11, verses 17 through 22 is the text. One area of life and ministry that believers, uh, if somebody wants to set the countdown clock for me up there, it'd be good. Uh, One... uh, area of life and, and ministry that believers should consider is the salvation of their children. All of us want to have a, a household of faith. Several years ago, a Christian university in Texas conducted a cross-generational study to measure uh, fathers' positive and negative influences upon their teenagers' uh, spirituality. They found out that every time, uh, every time dad's role uh, as a teacher, <clears throat> came out to be the most important uh, predicator on whether or not the child would have a, any kind of a quality spiritual life. Among other uh, predictors, uh, and that's what I should have said as predictor, among other uh, predictors of uh, adoles- adolescent spiritual maturity as it related to dad were A, his commitment to Christ, uh, B, his uh, spiritual well-being, his own spiritual well-being, his prayer life, his uh, boldness in discussing issues of faith, and his genuineness and emotional closeness. Of those teens whose fathers expressed their love well, 84% had a high uh, spiritual maturity. Among the teenagers whose fathers had difficulty in doing so, only 39% had a high degree of spiritual maturity. If a father will take a child in his lap and say, I love you, that will double the child's chances of being spiritually mature. I think that's pretty interesting, don't you? <clears throat> that a child has a much better chance of being spiritually mature if um, someone will just take that child, the father will just take that child uh, in his lap and, and tell the child how much uh, they are loved. In our text today, we see four generations of faith. They're identified, four separate generations of faith. Each generation had a very strong patriarch who perpetuated faith in the family. Uh, um, uh, the man, the, the, the father, and this is not a Father's Day message, but it, <clears throat> it certainly could be. The path of faith through these generations shows us something of the twists and turns of faith as it flows from one generation to the next. It doesn't always follow a set pattern, as we're going to see. You, don't, <clears throat> you can't just take a cookie cutter and and cut out a generation of faith and say okay this is what it's going to look like in the next generation and the next generation and so on it does have a tendency to change from generation to generation in the way that it shapes up it's not exactly the same the path of faith is rarely duplicated um, and uh, oftentimes there are detours along the way and we're going to see that today now our text is Hebrews 11 again verse 17 by faith Abraham When he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, Though Isaac, or through Isaac, shall your offspring be named. And he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessing on Jacob and Esau, By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons, uh, the sons of Joseph, I should say, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Verse 22, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Now, I'm going to have a couple of points in this message today that are going to duplicate a couple of points that I had in the message last week. Not the same point, not the same message, but I'm going to start with where we started last week. We're dealing now with uncharted faith. Uh, Faith in an area where no one ever had been experienced or had any experience of having faith. That's in verse 17. By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he (coughs) who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it is said... Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, which figuratively speaking, he did uh, receive him back. Let's start with this and looking at this uncharted territory now that Abraham is going to be in. And see that it is, <clears throat> it is uh, a time of great expectations. Now Abraham has a, a wonderful story and you know a little about Abraham's story. Abraham's story is one of great faith and of great expectations. Abraham believed God when he was called to be the father of a great uh, nation of people, through the son that God would give to Abraham and, and to his wife, uh, Sarah. And he did not expect that he would have to wait for 25 years for the son to be born, uh, but uh, he still believed God. It was a difficult challenge. We think if God tells us that this is something that's going to happen in our lives, it needs to happen within our time frame of our lives. And uh, 25 years was not really the time frame of the life that uh, Abraham expected or the life that Sarah expected. He expected the promise and then let's uh, go ahead and see the fulfillment of the promise. And just to be very honest, uh, Abraham wavered some in faith when at the encouragement of Sarah we've talked about this a little bit at the encouragement of Sarah uh, he took Hagar uh, Sarah's handmaid Sarah's uh, lady uh, maid and they had a baby together and uh, he said to uh, Sarah said to him said why don't you go ahead and take Hagar I'm never gonna have this baby so you go ahead and take take Hagar and and have a baby And that is exactly what Abraham did and the son was Ishmael and his birth uh, created a problem uh, a serious problem it's a problem that we're still dealing with today and much of the trouble in the world uh, that we're uh, that I just mentioned can be traced back to a lapse of faith by Abraham it's very important for us not only for ourselves but for generations to come to be obedient to God in faith and to live in faith to God however Uh, he did uh, come to the place at some point of believing uh, God and he when he heard God confirm again the promise that that Sarah would have a baby he still uh, believed God at that point and it would be through this promised son that they would have whose name would be Isaac that the nation Israel would be promised uh, and and uh, the Jewish uh, people be blessed and so there was this great expectations that Abraham had. And finally, they did have the son. Uh, Ishmael was born, and, and he was the illegitimate son, but the real son, the promised son, was Isaac. And so that was a, a tremendous uh, time of, of great expectation. But shortly after the expectation came a, a great testing. And this was, a, uh, this was a hard, hard test. In Genesis chapter 22, we read the of the tremendous sacrifice that Abraham was called upon to offer. God literally told Abraham, literally told Abraham to take his son Isaac to the top of Mount Moriah and uh, to take all of the supplies needed to make a a blood sacrifice on the altar and uh, make a burnt offering before God with a blood sacrifice. And God also told Abraham that Isaac would be the uh, offering that day, <clears throat> that Isaac would be the lamb that would be offered. And so this is a huge test. It's, it's a greater test than any of us will ever go through. It's a huge test. And so uh, sure enough, Abraham did as God had instructed. And uh, Abraham by now had learned <clears throat> to believe God. And so he said, you know, even if my son Isaac dies, I know that God can raise him up. So I'll just do what God says. And that's what he did. And so he went on this journey of blind faith, and it proved to be an extraordinary test of his faith, a tremendous test of the faith of, of Abraham. And when everything was in place for the offering, Isaac asked about a missing component in the offering. That is, Isaac said, You know, we've got the wood. We've got the altar. We've got everything that we need. But I don't get it, Dad. Where is the Lamb? Here's the way the discourse went between them. This is from Genesis 22 and verse 7. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, Here I am, son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood. But where is the Lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, God will provide for himself the Lamb. For a burn offering, my son, so they went both of them together. Now, the test went as far as to have Abraham tie the the hands of his son and lay him across the altar uh, the pile of wood on the altar that 's how far <clears throat> this sacrifice went before God intervened at that point with with his hands tied and laid across and actually with a raised knife that's when god intervened now that is a tremendous test of the faith of abraham but you have to understand this that was also a tremendous test for isaac because isaac was the obedient son abraham was the obedient father isaac was the obedient son and, and we understand now that was through Isaac that the, the generations of blessings continued. But the point being that he was the obedient son. He did not resist the sacrifice. And, and I don't think that he was just oblivious to what was going on here. I think it was pretty obvious what was about to happen. He understood the system of sacrifice. He understood there was supposed to be a lamb. He understood that his dad rarely tied his hands behind his back. He understood that that his dad heretofore had never asked him to lay across a pile of of wood on an altar of sacrifice. Yet with hands tied behind his back and laying across an altar of wood uh, uh, of sacrifice... And, and then Abraham takes out the, the knife and raises the knife above his head. I mean, of, to, to, to this point, not only was the faith of Abraham amazing, but the faith of Isaac was amazing. Now, let, let me just say this. Uh, this kind of thing is foreign to us today. But can you imagine the kind of faith that Isaac had to have in this? Imagine how the, <clears throat> the, the end, this, this single event, how this would in the end mold the life of his own faith. Imagine how from that point forward, Isaac would grow in faith, seeing what God had done. Imagine how things would change. This was a testing, not only for Abraham, <clears throat> but it was a testing for Isaac. This was a perpetuation of... Of faith through generations to come Isaac was tested in the to to the trust of his father and Abraham was tested to the trust of his heavenly father and so Isaac learned to trust the heavenly father through the faith that Abraham had in the heavenly father it was great expectations that Isaac would be born and and be the head of all nations through him would all the world be blessed and it was a great time of testing but then came the great reward And this was a great reward. The happy end to the story is that Abraham raised his knife to sacrifice his son, and the angel of God came to the rescue. Let's look at that in verse 10 of Genesis 22 and some verses following. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him for now I know that you fear God seeing you have not withheld your son your only son from me now let me just stop right there and say this there has to be in my mind a question whether Abraham only heard this or whether Isaac heard it as well if Isaac heard it as well which he may very well have heard I don't know whether he did I'm sure that that Abraham explained it it to him later he said well how do you know well it's got explained to all of us so i'm sure that that he had it explained later if he didn't hear it right then but what an amazing what a powerful what a thrilling thing to hear this voice from heaven and and <clears throat> isaac putting it all together as he lay there across the altar and he said this is really what was going to happen and god has preserved me verse 13 and abraham lifted up his eyes And looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now, what is the lesson here? The, The lesson from this story is not for us to tempt God by trying something with our children that's not the lesson now i will tell you not not being overly unkind although and not trying really to be sarcastic but there are groups of people who would take this kind of a thing and from it form a whole sect of of cult of of deepening your faith being willing to offer your own children Now, there are those that would do that, and and the reason that I know that is because that the apostle Paul was rescued from the bite of a venomous snake, and and there are whole sects of people uh, in my home state of Tennessee and other places who built an entire faith around that, and they believe that worshiping uh, God involves holding up venomous rattlesnakes and being bitten and not killed. They believe that, and I guess some still believe that, even though one of the, the main leaders got bit by a rattlesnake and died the other day. We have this tendency to take things and, and to make things into something that God never intended. It. This is a story of faith. This is not a story of of building a new sect or a new avenue of of religion it's just a story and a good story of faith the the lesson is an event that was uncharted territory and and tells us how that god can guide us in faith and god can guide us when our children see our walk of faith in uncharted waters they learn from that faith and they become men and women of faith themselves This kind of faith can begin in your family, and it can begin in my family. It can be generations of faith. But I want to tell you something. Just as there's generational faith, there's also generational fear. There's also generational doubt. There's also generational disobedience. And on and on it goes. Our children learn from who we are and what we do. Isaac's faith was made strong because of the strength of his father Abraham's faith. A faith that to that point was uncharted faith. Now let me give you the second kind of faith we're going to see in generational faith today, and that is some unforeseen faith. Once Abraham passed from the scene, it fell to Isaac, who became the patriarch of Israel. And from him, <clears throat> the path of faith and the perpetuation of the family was, was something that, that he never really um expected the path that that he would uh, follow was would never expected it here's here's what the bible says in in verse 20 of hebrews 11 by faith isaac invoked future blessings on jacob and esau now here's an interesting thing isaac goes on and he marries a woman named rebecca and rebecca and isaac have two children and one's name is Jacob and the other's name is Esau and they were completely different kind of children Isaac and and by the way mom and dad had a favorite mom favored one dad favored the other I don't think that means they didn't love the other child but there was a a favorite there Isaac well he favored his older son Esau for a couple of reasons, I guess. He was first. Um, they shared a common interest of hunting and fishing and those kinds of things. And Jacob was not so much turned like that. Jacob liked to stay near the home. Uh, Jacob hung around mom a lot. And, and he would, maybe he'd help his mom in the kitchen. He certainly learned to cook. And <clears throat> nothing wrong with any of that. Jacob was, was not that, that outdoorsy person. Jacob was that hang around the house kind of a person. That's just the way that it that it was. And as they grew, the difference between Jacob and Esau became more and more pronounced. They were just two different cats, I'll tell you, absolutely two different people. And one day, Esau was out hunting. Now Esau would get out there and wouldn't plan very well and he'd go out and he was and he was hunting and he enjoyed the time of that he was hunting and, and and what was jacob doing jacob was at home making a a pot of bean soup literally he was making a pot of bean soup and so esau comes in and esau said man alive i could eat a bear and i gotta have something and he smells this bean soup cooking and he says to Jacob, he said, um, hey, I'd love to have some of that bean soup. To which Jacob had the re- brotherly response. <laughs> no, <clears throat> I'm not going to share my bean soup with you. You've been out running around in the woods. And you stink. And, and <clears throat> I've been, I stayed here in the house, and I've been cooking this bean soup. I'm going to enjoy it. have got enough. I'm going to put it in Tupperware, and we am going to save it for several days, and on and on it goes <clears throat> so Esau said oh come on man I I am really 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 hungry if you'll just I, I gotta have some of that bean soup what would I have to do to get some of that bean soup Jacob said well I'll tell you what you give up your right as the firstborn son now Esau said what he said give up your right as the firstborn son now, I won't go all into it, but the right of the firstborn son was considerable. The right of the firstborn son was that they got to carry on the, the lineage of the family, and they had the authority of the family. Plus, they got the most of the wealth of the family if the family was wealthy. <clears throat> so uh, Jacob said to Esau, his brother, he said, I'll tell you what, if, if I, you'll just give me your birthright, it's all you got to do, sell me your birthright. And you can, you can swim in this soup if you want to. And so sure enough, uh, Esau said, hey, I don't care. That stuff doesn't matter to me. He said, let me have some of that soup. So he got his hands on the soup, and he ate the soup. Now, this is very interesting. The blessing should have been for Esau, but it went to Jacob. And the story continues that as Isaac, who was now getting uh, much older and could hardly see Isaac uh, asked his son his favorite son Esau he said hey buddy would you go and, and, and hunt I'd, I'd like some fresh venison some fresh meat I just, <clears throat> I'd really ask you to, to go and do that for me And Esau said absolutely you know I'll do that and so uh, he does now Rebecca heard this conversation and here's what she did she went to Jacob, and she said, Okay, look, Esau is going out to hunt for your, uh, for your daddy. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to kill a couple of goats, and, and I'm going to get them all prepared up and nice, and we're going to take those skins and going to put them on you. Because Esau was hairy, and Jacob wasn't. And so, you know, you had Prince Jacob and, and Prince Harry. And so... <clears throat> He He was hairy, and, and so they put the skins on him and and the whole purpose of the whole thing was to fool Daddy because it was time for Daddy to pronounce a blessing and so to make a long story short, here's what happened: uh, Isaac goes in, or uh, excuse me, Jacob goes in, Isaac mistakes him for Esau. Uh, said, come a little closer, you don't sound right let me let me hear you touch you, and he touch you? And, okay, well, I guess that might be him, you know. He stinks, and he's hairy, so it might be Esau. And, and so he, he said, uh, okay, I'll give you the blessing. And he gave him the blessing of the first son. Now, the, the birthright blessing was a big deal. This isn't a message about birthright blessing, but it was a big, big deal. And then when Esau comes in, Esau uh, does the same thing. And, he, and, and Isaac said, what, what is this all about? He said, well, so forth and so on. Make a long story short, uh, Esau got the second blessing. He didn't get the primary blessing. He got the second blessing. Now, preacher, let let me ask you a question. Doesn't all of that seem a little crooked to you? Yes, it does. Well, then how could God work? Well, I want to make a point about perfection. I've got to make a point about perfection, and and I want you to hear it. Perfection is not required to perpetuate faith in your family. Perfection is not required for God to do what God wants to do. There is not a person in Scripture or who has ever lived aside from Jesus Christ who was perfect in all of his ways. It's easy to find examples of this but, but I think you can see how flawed this situation was in Isaac's family. You talk about a dysfunctional family. I mean dysfunctional family. Really, if, if you read about them in Genesis 27, you'll see how absolutely messed up they were. Nevertheless, when it comes to the will of God, there is preservation. Even though perfection never happens, there is preservation of God's will. Not only does God have a plan for our lives, but he has a plan for the life of of the earth and for eternity. Now this is hard for us to comprehend as we look at the changing scene in the world. This is why, by the way, this is why we're doing this series on finding your faith. It is hard for people of faith to to understand that God is control when so many hellacious things are going on in this world today. How in this world can God be in control when hell has broken loose in every corner of the earth? Well, because God has a plan that He will preserve. How could all of this mess of our world be part of God's plan? I don't really know. I'm not sure uh, that And and let me say this to you. I'm not sure that it's as much a part of his plan as it plays into his plan. Go back to this. God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Go back to what Joseph said to his brothers. You meant this for evil, but God meant it for good. Go back to that understanding that there's some plan that's bigger than our plan. There's some understanding that's greater than our understanding. There's some depth that's deeper than us. And and for us in any way to try to come to a finite conclusion... On what the overall plan of God is, because we think this is good and that is bad, is just an impossibility for us. We know from the example of Esau and Jacob and and many other situations of life that God is a master lemonade maker, He's a master. Look at your life. I I hope that your life is being blessed today. I hope that you feel like God is really in the center of my life. I hope that you feel like that, that, boy, you're at the best time spiritually you've ever been in. I hope all of that is true. But let me say say this to you. If if you could take a step back a few years ago and watch the path that brought you to this place. You say, well, there's some ugly things in the path. That's the point. The perfection is in God, not in the people. That is the point. And the reason of all of that is because of God's providence. Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. To perpetuate faith through the generations of our family we must help them to understand that God has a plan and he is working on it for our good and his glory always. This is the message that the Apostle Paul delivered to to the church of Corinth. He was talking about his own issues and he said in 2 Corinthians 4, 17, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. In my life and yours, there have been a lot of things that I did not like that I endured and could endure because I knew that God was in control. We, we talked about that on Wednesday night. We're in a new series on Wednesday night talking about the I am statements, the great I am statements in the book of John. And on Wednesday night we talked about <clears throat> that Jesus is the bread of life. And, and, and one of the things that Jesus said to the people that was asking him about bread and, is he said, believe on me. And one of the great issues that we have in our lives is in just simply believing on God. You say, I don't see this. I don't see that. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't understand how God could. I don't blah, blah, blah. believe God. God is bigger than you, smarter than you, better than you, holier than you, kinder than you, more gracious than you, more powerful than you. God is everything, infinitely more than any of us. Believe Him. God can perpetuate His will. I just think it's a joy to be able to be involved in His will. That's a cool thing. Well, let me move on. By the way, my my concern is not whether or not God is serving me. My concern is whether or not I'm serving God. That's what my real concern is. So, there's for generations of faith there can be uncharted faith unforeseen faith here's another one I think we used last week undying faith although Jacob arrived at his strategic place by an unusual path his faith was very very strong his family had some interesting history and and again there was conflict in their family now you talk about a dysfunctional family they took the, the oldest children took the youngest son and sold him into slavery talk about Nathan and Matthew tried that on Paul (laughs) you you talk about dysfunctional families I mean there were some problems his family had some interesting history and that's a lot of conflict and the reason for the conflict was similar to the conflict that that there was in in the family of Isaac and that is that that parents played favorites in the case of Jacob he played favorite with Joseph Joseph was his guy well didn't he love all the other sons sure he did but they just didn't stack up to Joseph Pastor Ray so is it okay to play favorites I don't think that it is but you know I'm just telling you that's what they did and it would be through Joseph that the blessing of faith would be perpetuated With the blessing already on Joseph, Jacob reached out uh, or or reached through to the others that he loved. This is what is shown in our text today in verse 21. It's very interesting. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. On his deathbed, Jacob had two i think important things first of all he had vision jacob had a vision and for his grandchildren and he blessed his grandchildren though he would not be around to perpetuate faith to them he prayed for the blessing that came from abraham to his father isaac and now through him to his not only his own son uh, joseph but to the children of joseph He just, on his dying day, he blessed the children. May I share with you that as a believer, the greatest blessing any of us can have is to see not only our children saved and serving God, but our grandchildren saved and serving God. In my family, the salvation of our first grandson and his baptism was the beginning of seeing, hopefully, generational faith continue. We want to see our little grandson, Harper, when the right age comes for him and understanding to come to know Christ. And, and we can't even, we, we don't even know what Emerson looks like yet, but she's due to be born in early May, and we're already looking forward to seeing Emerson grow and come to a place of, of salvation. One of my very good friends, our very good friends, Dr. David Bowler and his wife Sue, Sue, knitted a blanket uh, for little Emerson and she put a note in with a blanket and she said uh, to Lindsay she said Lindsay I've knitted this blanket and I want you to know that the whole time that I was knitting it I was praying for the salvation of Emerson how great is that we we want <clears throat> have a vision for the salvation of our our own children For a Christian family, there must be more than a vision of success. There must be a vision of faith. And I challenge us as a church family to have a vision of faith and and to not turn back on that. The way that vision is kept fresh and alive is for us, like Jacob, and the people of faith to, to continue to worship. And that was the other thing in his undying faith. As he died, there was veneration, there was worship. Here's the verse again. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of his sons, the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. He ended his days in a state of worship. I'll tell you something real quickly. Earlier this week, I had a a text message from my sister about a man named Wilson Dillard in Nashville. She said... um, you know that Wilson Dillard has been uh, put in hospice now and (coughs) Wilson, a man advanced in age and I I texted her back and I said, you know, Wilson um, is the man who clarified salvation to me. I said, in that sea of hold on and turn loose and let me just back up a little bit and tell you that I, I was raised in a church where they prayed through, you know. And I said in a sea of hold on and turn loose I was very confused and I said Wilson was the voice of clarity and helped me to clearly uh, understand Jesus Christ and salvation. She um, read that to him and she said that he cried as, as she read that text to him and he died the next day. And I I think of how people die in faith. They die in worship. They die in veneration. That's the way all of us wanna go. We wanna go worshiping the Lord. Finally, there's unending faith. And with this, I really am finished. The story of Joseph is literally a colorful story. He had the coat of many colors. He was sold in slavery providentially by God and, and became a man of great prosperity however he never lost his vision or faith of faith there's two things I want you to see about him first of all he was blessed in Egypt we won't spend any time there but but he became one of the greatest and most powerful men in Egypt even though he was a Jew and his wealth and power was just absolutely amazing and you might think that he would never want to leave but you'd be wrong because like Jacob his father and Isaac his father and uh, and, and Abraham, the father of, uh, of them all, uh, Joseph was bound for the promised land. He didn't want to stay in Egypt. Verse 22 By faith, Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. You can read in Genesis 50, verses 24 and 25, how he instructed his brothers not to leave him in Egypt, but to take his bones to the land of promise. Let me just ask you this about your faith and the generations of faith. Are you looking beyond your own salvation to the salvation of your children? Are you looking beyond the salvation of your children to the salvation of your children's children? Do you look at those little babies who come into the world and is your first thought, Lord, I want you to save him, Lord, I want you to save her early in life. Generations of faith are perpetuated through people of faith. People who walk in faith and live in faith and raise their children in faith and never waver in their faith even when their children leave. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when he is old, he'll not depart from it. That's more than just knowing the right things to do. That's walking in faith, in your own faith. And the children seeing your faith and living by it as well. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, You can visit us at North Florida Baptist Church, 3000 North Meridian Road, Tallahassee, Florida, 32312. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.